the radical left, the Marxists, the anarchists, the agitators, the looters, and people who, in many instances, have absolutely no clue what they are doing. Welcome to What Radicalized You, a podcast of stories and experiences that have shaped people's ideas about our world and the way society should function. Hey everyone, my name is Anaya Vines. I'm 21 years old. I'm born in Brooklyn, North New York, raised in Charlotte, North Carolina. I'm currently a senior at Howard University, a double major in political science and criminology. What radicalized me was being a Black woman in America, um, starting off young, being raised by my mother and my father, Shante Vines and Gianni Vines. We moved from New York to Charlotte um, right after the Twin Towers came down. So. 2002. Um, I would spend my school years in Charlotte and my summers in New York, basically being raised by my grandparents there. That's really where I learned respect of elders and just giving honor where honor is due when it comes to people that's been doing the work. And just having a grandfather that was raised in the Deep South, where when he was like 10, 15 years old, he was still like on a plantation and he would tell stories about how it was, how he really didn't have a choice. And it wasn't until he reached a point in his life where he left and um, he came to New York to start a new life. So being raised by my grandparents as well as my parents, growing up with family members that have been in and out of the system consistently, being raised in a Black household that showed love for one another, but not a lot of the world showed love to us as a family, um, just due to how our circumstances was growing up as a household and just how hard it was. My mother, being a Black woman, she she's never had like less than four jobs at once, really just making sure that me and my younger brother were taken care of my entire life. I saw the resilience in her and I just learned growing up like there's nothing that I can't do as a black woman. It really was her showing me firsthand like whatever I put my mind to I can do. And she always told me, you know, if you don't see the change that you want, then you need to create it. You need to be that change because other people probably think the same way as you, but they just don't have the courage to do it. So just do it. I always had a passion for justice and um, that was fueled by the murder of my cousin, Doron Smalls, in Brooklyn, New York. Um, he was killed from an off-duty police officer. Um, it was road rage, and it was caught on tape, and I saw my cousin yelling at another person in the car across the street, and my cousin, you know, got out the car and approached the car, and the person, the cop, off-duty cop, a black cop, pulled his gun out and shot my cousin on the street, and drove off let him die and with his babies in the car and his um, girlfriend so at that point I realized like it didn't really matter whether the cop was black or white like 
it really just comes down to the uniform. It comes down to the blue or the white that they wear if they're a lieutenant or whatever. It's, that's really what evades the accountability for officers. And that's when I realized, like, this isn't right. Like, something isn't right. I always knew something wasn't right, but I really knew then, like, you have this footage, you have everything on tape, you have everything to lock this person up, lock this officer up, and they're not doing it. So this justice system is skewed. Like, this justice system is messed up. So after that, I kind of got to work as a young Black woman, just educating myself. I've always been good in school just because I'm good at receiving and holding information. But I knew that the information that, that, that school systems was teaching me was whitewashed. It wasn't the truth. So it was at that point where I started to self-educate, where I started to get books for myself, where I started to look for wisdom from other places. And I realized that there's so much that we're not taught in our regular school systems. There's so much that we're not taught on a day to day. After that, um, doing research in 2018, that was really when it was a height, the height of the, the school shootings, um, the one in particular being um, the one in Florida. Um, at that time, I had started a club at my school. I went to an art school from sixth grade to 12th grade. Um, I studied classical music, so I'm classically trained to sing. But I started a club at my school called VOICE. It's an acronym standing for Vision, Outspoken, Inspire, Create, and Evolve able to get together. It was basically an, an advocacy group, accountability group, in a way in which um, different majors could come together and um, show their talents to one another. And also, when things were going wrong at the high school, we would come together and advocate. So in 2018, I led the first walkout. That was my first like hands-on organizing at 18 years old, where we strategically told everybody the day before, come in all Black. And we're doing research found that the like gun violence awareness color, color is orange. So we went to the fabric store, cut up a bunch of fabric and um, was passing it out to all the students when they got off the buses the next day. And everybody wore it on their arms or on their thighs or as a headband or whatever. And we made the announcement at a certain time, we busted into the, the front office and we took over the, the school speaker. And we said, everybody, walk out your classes like this is this is the walkout so everybody walked out a majority of the students at the school walked out and we were outside like just talking about how we felt but also we went into the auditorium and we had a presentation so it could be educational about the history of gun violence and how you know this is not the beginning of gun violence and the origin of gun violence so that's when I really realized like when it comes to direct action, of course you have action, but it also has to be accompanied with learning and unlearning because you can you can do something all day, but it's like you have to know why you're doing it, who did it before you, how to strategically plan to do it better next time. There's a lot of learning that has to do with doing direct actions. So after I graduated from high school, um, I had applied for Howard, um, got in, and I realized going on campus, I was built different. A lot of people went to campus um, to find who they were. I went to campus already knowing who I was. It really was just me being on a mission at that point. So I went on there and I realized I really wasn't banging with a lot of people. I didn't really vibe with a lot of people because they, they were on a different type of time. And I was just really on business time. I'm like, I'm here to, to go to classes, yes, but it's more than just that. Like, I'm here to learn and give this energy and this information back to my community 
but I couldn't do that off rip because I was so young. I was new to the area. I was new to DC. So I had to learn who was already there, there doing the work. So I took, you know, my first three years of just learning, figuring out what I could do, you know, keeping my grades right. And junior year, I became the president of the NAACP at I'm Howard. Um, that was a cool experience, but I realized, you know, it's too conservative. I realized, you know, my passion couldn't fit in the, the, the walls of NAACP. Though they have made strides for black people, there was more for me to do. And I just felt like, you know, I was put in a box in that sense. So I said, okay, let me just, let me start something up. And at that point, George Floyd was murdered. And after that, I realized, okay, like this is the time, like this is, this is a time to start something. This is time to do something and do something different. At that point, I was looking around and I'm like, okay, a lot of people are starting organizations that focus on like defunding. We have to be bigger, bigger minded. Like we have to think deeper than that. It's more than that to, to liberate our people really. Um, it's more than this sector of the oppression. The oppression comes from all, all sides, um, not just, you know, law enforcement. That is one. And that's something that we have to deal with, but just defunding, that's not it. I realized that one thing that a lot of people was focused on was education. I've always been one advocate for education because during the era of chattel slavery, the one thing, the biggest thing that um, Europeans and our, our oppressors um, knew that they had to do was break our minds. They knew that once they had our minds, they didn't even need physical change at that point because at that point, they could give us guns and trust that we wouldn't kill them because they broke us so bad. And at that point, I thought, you know, if we just reclaimed our minds, if we reclaimed who it was to actually be Black, if we unlearned the things that they've been scarfing down our throats all these years, all these generations, and started learning who we were as people, not just who we were, but what we're capable of and what we have the power to do, not just what we have the power to do, but what we've done we could change this whole thing but we all got to be on the same page so june 1st of 2020 i started the live movement standing on the foundation that we must live for those who have died paying homage to those who came before us by doing the work by making sure that we continue to do direct actions but through education and we focus on racial and educational equity and really it is one and the same if you want to do it effectively so we started and me, you know, being in college, it was a process creating a balance. Um, I already had an organization in North Carolina called TRAP, a diversion program, um, stands for True Rehabilitation and Prosperity. But this was a new avenue. This was something that I was versed on, but I knew that I had to learn more. Through God's guidance, he led me to where I needed to go. The first action we had was in Atlanta, at that point, there was a lot of curfews, like just impulsive curfews. I know that you probably remember, like there was a lot of <laughs> things going on in the streets at night and the cops didn't like that. So they would put out curfews like 30 minutes before. So Atlanta, they had a curfew, a random curfew at like nine o'clock and there was a Spellman, this third Morehouse brother that was out that night and they didn't make it home in time. And so the cops like surrounded the car, busted the windows and tased them dragged him out the car and I heard that story and my spirit led me and said go to Atlanta have your action in Atlanta the first action live movement had was for Juneteenth the Juneteenth March in Atlanta that's where I met my current 
execution strategist for the national TLM team, DeAndre Gates. He was my marshal at the time. He's been rocking with me ever since. It's been almost like two years. And that's where I met him. I met a couple other organizers that I still talk to. I met one of my closest friends, Olivia and Ron and Tyson there. But um, I built relations and family there, learned lessons in Atlanta. But, you know, after that, came to D.C. because I was coming to school. I was going back to school. After that, had the, the first annual HBCU March of the Generations. And that was August 29th. I didn't really know anybody in D.C. for real um, because I was in Charlotte and I was in Atlanta. So I was doing direct actions in different places, but I hadn't gotten back to D.C. yet. So when I got back to D.C., I just learned who was already doing the work, who was already here, who was already established and built, you know, started to slowly but surely build relations at that point. And we had our first HBC March of Generations. Um, the one action that did stamp us as a like org like a credible org in dc was tent city that was in october where we slept outside the u.s department of education for eight consecutive days fighting to meet with the secretary of education at that time betsy devos by the time that was the trump administration so we were fighting to cancel student loan debt we were fighting to increase Pell grants we were fighting for the federal demands that we had and we made it very clear because we had we had plywood, like we had actual like forts that was built around Tent City that had our demands listed. So it was very, very clear why we were there. And I didn't know that a year after, it was kind of like preparation, but, but it showed me how it was to actually run an occupation, that it was a lot of work, especially outside occupation, like a lot of work to sustain it. But the community support was immense. Food, we were fed better at Tent City than a lot of us were on campus, honestly. Donations coming in, it was great. Somebody even donated like a microwave. It was it was bananas, but really it, it built community. It trained me as an organizer, as a young orna- organizer at that. We ended it at eight days and the live movement just kept on going. We you know, had our winter breaks and things like that, came back in January and continued doing the work, um, doing mutual aid, building relations. And there's different things that we helped out with, but really it was just making sure that um, internally as an organization, we were ready for what was to come. And so I realized, you know, the preparation was the next step in the live movement, which was Blackburn. We were continuing to do work in the community of DC and building relations, making sure that we actually learned more about the community in which we serve. But Blackburn was kind of the turning point for for the live movement going into going into Blackburn. So people knew about me and knew about the live movement on Howard's campus. And someone that reached out to me at the time was someone that I knew from freshman year. At this point I'm a senior. This was this this past semester. I'm a senior. And um, Erica England, the president of YDSA Young Democratic Socialists of America, came and to me and said, you know, we're doing this sit in will the sit out outside of Howard um, on August 26th from 7 p.m. to 7 a.m. talking about the housing crisis. So I'm a part of the housing crisis. Being that I'm a senior, there wasn't any space on campus for me. I was told that there would be, but I had to scramble at the last minute to get an apartment um, because of the standard of living in D.C. I wasn't able to afford it because I'm a college student and I'm just trying to get through school and pay tuition. 
So I had to find um, somewhere to stay on the border of DC. So I was like, I'm in Silver Spring right now. So I was affected by it. She sent me the flyer, said for me to come through. So we were protesting at Nelly's actually that same night. Um, Cause at Nelly's, for those who don't know, a black woman was dragged by her braids down the Nelly steps by, um, by security or whatever. And that was not gonna fly with the community. So we definitely shut that down. And after we protested that night, I went down the street to Howard with my bullhorn at hand and I saw the, you know, the sit out and it was on the side of the street. It wasn't in the street. It was like on a sidewalk. And I said, all right, y'all, like, you know, this is cute, but we need more than just a couple hunks from people that just happen to be up at this time of the night. Like we need to actually cause some disruption. How y'all feel about taking over the street? And, you know, they was like, ah, I don't think we're ready for that. I was like, not right now. But if, you know, if you want, um, I can help you. Like, I know I know what I'm doing. I can help you with organizing something um, to actually get something done, like to actually get the ball rolling. But a one night thing ain't gonna cut it if you're really serious about getting these amendments and bringing more attention to the actual situation at hand. And then after that, um, I talked to Erica and we started going on the drawing board. And I said, you know, if you trust me, we could take it to campus and really sh shut it down. And she was like, all right. And I was like, all right, we should take over Blackburn. <laughs> and for those who don't know, Blackburn is one of the main cafeterias on Howard's campus. Not only, and it's definitely what I'm about to say is a health hazard, but Blackburn was the place where there was open food served, there was COVID tests being taken. There was open construction on the third floor and there was no running water on the second floor. Like it was just a hazard and the building was supposed to, it was closed for two years. It was supposed to get done while like we were on virtual classes and stuff. Like when we weren't on campus, the building was supposed to be completed and finished and remodeled and things, but they, they wasn't doing a job, but I digress. So we prepared for that and we said, okay. And so the live movement started to have members at that time. So I told my members, I said, okay, y'all, this is what we're gonna be doing. Are y'all down? It was down. I gave them the list of, you know, materials and Erica did the same thing with YDSA. We got in contact with Houston president, Howard University Student Alliance president, um, Kylie Burks. And she said that there was also some things going on on her side that was a little fishy in regards to funds. And she was like, you know, well, if you guys want, we have a town hall that's scheduled for October 12th in Blackburn. So what you could do is, you know, come to the town hall. And just because of the, the possible security hazard, we weren't telling we weren't telling anybody like, oh, we're doing a takeover. Like that's like, you know, something not to do one on one in organizing a pop up occupation. So we were just telling students to come to the town hall, voice your opinion. Let administration know what's wrong. You have the right, not only the right, but the responsibility to hold your administration accountable. If if there's something wrong, like you are a stakeholder in this university, like you are invested, not just your money, but your time, your parents' time, your family's time. And so we got to the flagpole that's in the middle of the yard. And, you know, I was talking my stuff on a bullhorn, letting everybody know what was up. I was like, all right, y'all want to meet at the flagpole? We're going to move together as one to Blackburn. So... The time came, six o'clock was the start of the town hall. We went into Blackburn, went into the auditorium, and we knew ahead of time, because Kylie told us, but no one else knew, but administration was invited multiple times to come to town halls that was scheduled prior to, and they did not come. Like, they said that they had prior engagements or there was a scheduling conflict. 
So Houston did have several attempts to try to schedule a town hall around administration schedule. Like they were like, oh, you can't make it this time. Okay, so we'll push it back and do like the time that you agreed to. And it was always a problem, was always something. Basically they were showing us like, they really do not care. Like we are really not prioritized for real. Like, okay, this is cool. Y'all trying to set this up, but I'm going to be out of town. Like that's not an excuse. So we got in there and all these students have these questions for this administration because the town hall is supposed to be where administration and students come together. The students have the ability, uh, the um, opportunity to voice their opinions and their grievances to administration and being that they have the power to change it. That's what they're supposed to do because they are being paid by us. Do you feel me? So at that point, students are in there and they don't see administration. And they're like, what is going on? Like, what is the problem? So they're in there and they're like, where's administration? Houston said, well, they actually said that they were unavailable. Blah, blah, blah. So they're like, okay, so there's this town hall going on. Where's administration? I'm tired of going to a school where administration just continues to give us, like give us a runaround. And we call it the Howard runaround. Like where it's just the people that's supposed to be doing their job, like it's their job description to do this, that, and the third, and we need this, that, and the third, and they continue to fail to do it, but they continue to get the check as if they are doing it. That's the problem. So at the end of the town hall, the town hall was scheduled from six to eight o'clock, and the town hall got cut short to about seven o'clock because the majority of the town hall was supposed to be dialogue between administration and students. There's no administration, there's no dialogue for real. It was just a bunch of Students swapping sad stories and grievances about what they're upset about. Everybody's having these issues. People are talking about the mold. People are talking about the fact that they just got hospitalized last week. They just got discharged from the hospital because they had breathing problems because of the mold that they would like, because of their breathing conditions, because of their housing conditions. There, there's a lot of talking, but there's no one there that can actually give solutions to have the power to do that. So that's when, you know, I get up and we go to the front of the town hall. And we say, all right, y'all, like we're hearing about all this stuff and the people that really need to hear about it is not here. So if you really bought it, there's people that's here that's already agreed to stay and take over this building. Like we about to take over Blackbird. Like enough is enough. Like if they're not going to do what they're supposed to do, then we need to demand it. It's our responsibility to hold them accountable. It's our responsibility to let people know what the problem is and that we're not going to move until we get what we deserve. Like it's we're not asking for anything. The students, Blackburn, the demands were very simple. Like it wasn't like we were asking for anything astronomical. We weren't asking for 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 money. Like we weren't asking for anything financial. Like if you really want to break down the demands that we had, we were asking for voting rights, for the board of trustees voting rights to be given back to students, faculty, and alumni. We were asking to for a town hall in which President Wayne AI Frederick administration and the student body um, was going to attend. We were asking for a, a um, housing plan to make sure that we knew where our monies were being allocated because how do we have a president that's making over a million dollars in the salary of from Howard alone, not his like actual surgeon salary because he is a doctor, so he, he got the bread. But just from being a president alone, you're making a million dollars, but the money is going to your pockets and not in our dorms because pipes are busting, students are being hospitalized, like there is rodents, there is in the cafeteria, there is rats, like there is like what is going on? Like something is happening behind closed doors that we don't know about and something has to change. And then we had to add um, legal, academic and disciplinary immunity after the consistent threats that was given by administration to suspend and expel everybody that was protesting. So really, it was very simple what we were asking for from jump. It was very, very simple. 
so we never asked for much. So after the town hall, we went in the main lobby of Blackburn and the organizations that the Live Movement already reached out to had pulled up with supplies to keep us, like hold us overnight. So like the, the sleeping bags and the mattresses and waters and snacks and things. So Harriet's Wildest Dreams, Freedom Fighters DC um, and Unso Freedom pulled up because they saw it and they, you know, said, okay, Live Movement is involved. So, so we here, like we for the community. So they did that. They pulled up and after that, all hell broke loose. All hell broke loose. So Blackburn is open on a Monday through Friday schedule from 7 a.m. to 10 p.m. So we basically took over, like when I say take over, we basically made our presence known that we're not leaving about eight o'clock. So that's when all of a sudden, those that was not able to show up at town hall decided to come to Blackburn. Dr. Cynthia Evers, the, the president of student affairs, um, the vice president of student affairs popped up. The president of residential life popped up. I'm like, where were y'all? Maybe like an hour and a half ago, I thought you had other things going on. But when we're actually here saying we're not leaving, y'all want to pop up. So they pop up and they bring campus police with them. And we're like, oh, okay, it's that type of party. Great. So they pop up. They're like, okay, so like, who do we need to talk to? Because this is unacceptable. You guys need to leave by 10 o'clock or there's going to be consequences. We said, we get it. We know we made that conscious decision before we came here. We're not leaving. And so they continue to threaten us with um, expulsion and we continue to stand our ground. And then they use different tactics to try to get us to leave. So I'm a street protester. So I do know different tactics that police officers use. We did bring in um, the fire department and MPD. That's on, um, that's recorded as well. We have receipts for that. But the tactics that they use, I was very, I won't say I was surprised, but I was like, dang, they really went that low to do these, to do this on campus. So um they pulled a fake fire alarm so they pulled a fire alarm even though there was no fire that is illegal and they should have been charged with a fine we did the research but they pulled that the first night this was the first action for a lot of students a lot of students have participated in, or if they did it wasn't anything to this extent so they hear all this stuff like it's a scare tactic so i had to remind the students like i was like smell they start smelling. I said, do you smell a fire? Do you smell any smoke? They said, no. I said, so you do not have to leave because they are breaking the law. You are not in the wrong. They are in the wrong. These officers are trying to speak over me, but I got a bullhorn and I know how to talk. I know how to talk loud. So I'm like, don't listen to them. Don't listen to them at all. No matter what kind of uniform they got on, no matter what type of name that they saying, understand that you are not in the wrong. You have every right to be in this building right now where you are. So they turned the fire alarm off. Um, the fire department left because there was no fire. So they were not needed. Um, Metro PD left um, because, again, they were not needed. And then it was campus police. Um, so after 10 o'clock, it started to die down. Um, when it comes to occupation, just doing studies um, and being a part of occupations, the first night is usually the, the worst night uh, or one of the worst nights because that's when there's just a, an abrupt stop to the actual, like, regularly scheduled part of the day. Like, when it usually closes down and stuff, you're just breaking the, the system, if you will. So, um yeah, we stayed that that night. We were able to successfully um, stay in Blackburn. And so after that, the next day was a really a make it or break it day. So um, Dr. Cynthia Evers, Evers came in at about 11.07 and told us that if we, didn't, if we didn't leave by 12 o'clock, everybody in the building would be expelled. So the live movement, we made a post. First, we talked to the, the protesters, the students that were in there. And said, all right, y'all, at the end of the day, it's your decision. 
if you want to stay, we stay. If y'all want to leave, we leave. But we got to do it as one. We have to work as a unit. We can't be divided. So they said, we staying. Like, we didn't stay all night and go through that and literally be traumatized because that was a traumatizing experience for a lot of those students to leave. And so we said, bet. So we posted it on the Live Movement page and we asked all bison to come to Blackburn by 1150 and, you know, just turn up with us. Make sure administration understands it's not just us here that's advocating, but it's more students out there that have the same issues. So by 1145, we had about like 100 to 200 students outside linking arms and creating a human barricade out in front of the building, like saying like, enough is enough. Sick and tired to be ran ran over by the mini government that's supposed to be there to help them out, like supposed to be there to look out for them on an administrative level. And they haven't been. Students said enough is enough. They pulled out in numbers. And that's when Blackburn became not just an inside occupation, but an inside and outside occupation. That was a night where students began to sleep outside. That's the night where we started to do all calls for tents, um, started to get more air mattresses, heaters, electric blankets. That's when it grew. That's when it started to spark. And once students started to record um, and send in conditions in their dorms and just more evidence on the conditions in which we live in um, on campus, they started sending it to news outlets that's when it really just blew up. And once people started seeing the Live Movement's page and seeing the evidence, the real life evidence, because Howard was not admitted to anything at first. Howard, like the administration, they were trying to control PR as much as possible. They didn't want to take self-accountability. They did not want to say, all right, y'all, we get it. You're right. Students have been hospitalized. All right, y'all, we get it. All right, yes, this this dorm just did flood the other day. Okay, that pipe did burst. Okay, we get it. Your ceiling caved in. Okay, yes, we get it. There are rodents in there. Okay, we get it. There is mold and mildew. No, they did not do that. <laughs> no, they were going and combating us consistently, trying to call us, trying to make us seem like we were terrorists, basically, on campus, that we were rowdy, that there was that, that we were vandalizing Blackburn. That we, that we were saying wasn't true. Like, they were just trying to lie on us. And it's like, why, why? We have no reason to lie. Like, we would rather be in our dorms if they were safe. Like, we would rather just be focused on getting our degrees because that's what we paid for. We would rather be doing anything else but sacrificing our time, our youth, our freshman, sophomore, junior, senior year to be in this building. And a, lot, a majority of the protesters were freshmen because they came to a school that, was promised to them to be illustrious and they came and then the mask came off and they said this is not what they showed us on the campus tour this is not what it looks like on a website this is not what it's been made to look like blackburn made students realize we do not have to normalize the things that we go through as hbcu students we, we do not have to normalize and just say oh it's just it's just how it goes like we just have to just be okay with it and suck it up it is not okay that we have to like clear our schedule to visit financial aid. Like that's not okay. If you go to a PWI, it's not like that. Like we need to hold ourselves to a certain standard in which we let people know, like we take care of us. We do not need to be playing ourselves and being played by administration. So Blackburn really was an opportunity for students to understand like we have the power, not just some of the power, not just most of the power, but all of the power. If the students collectively decided to disenroll or unenroll in Howard, the, the school was shut down. And students were realizing, like, we need to take back our control because we unconsciously and, uh, and unwillingly give it and think that that's okay. But this action really showed people, like, 
students have control when it comes to campus. We have to realize that when things are going wrong and those that have the power to make it right choose not to, that's where we step in. That's where we have to hold them accountable. That's where we have to say, okay, enough is enough. So we did that. Those 34 days, we did that. We had to continue to do that. And did any of us expect for Howard University to let us stay in there for 34 days for over a month? No. Was it? Did it look awful on their part? Yes. Did, was it foolish on their part? Yes. Because it showed every day to parents, to families, to alumni, to investors, to stakeholders, where their allegiance lied. Like it showed them like, they don't care about students for real. They really bow down to the dollar. Once they sign, once we students sign those contracts for, you know, for scholarships, once we accept our student loans, once we have enough to, to fulfill the tuition, then it's really every man for himself. And that's not okay. And that was behind closed doors for so, so long. So, so long. This action really showed what administration cared about. It really showed the true colors of our president and the people that said that they're there to quote unquote protect and serve us. That's really our slogan. If that's really our pillars, how do you expect for us to abide by it if you're not doing it yourself? How do you expect for the students that you govern to abide by this, this, this foundation at this university if you're not doing it yourself, if you're not protecting us, if you're not serving us, if our president is a doctor, a certified surgeon, and you know that there are students that's being hospitalized and you are choosing to turn a blind eye, where is the protection? Where is the service? Because it's definitely not here. So at that point, like Blackburn turned into something that was just like, who are you going to believe? And it really was the public that had to make that decision. Like, who are you going to stand beside? Are you going to stand beside these students? that's saying it from firsthand experience, what they're going through and sending evidence, or are you gonna trust administration? And the public helped. The public helped a lot with, with making people understand what's going on, the support, we needed the support. We, we wouldn't have been able to last 34 days without the help of the community. We got donations, national and international donations, like people driving from Texas and flying from California Taking, like, taking flights to come out, like buses, busloads full of people coming like just to see us and students, like kids, like elementary schoolers and middle schoolers making support videos and sending it to us saying like, we see y'all, we appreciate y'all. Keep doing what you're doing because you're doing it for us. That was, it was a movement and it is a movement and that's what the Live Movement stands on. It's not just one direct action. It's not just one, one time in which we do advocacy work. Like, this is a, a movement for true Black liberation through education, through advocacy, through direct action, through living what we talk about. It's not something that you just pick up and put down. Like, it's something you have to live by. It's something you got to breathe. And it was showing people, students, young people, we're the people that's going to get us right. Like, it's, it's going to be accompanied with those who came after us. Like, I mean, those who came before us. Because we also have to accompany the passion and the energy and the will that we have as young people with the wisdom and the guidance from the older generations. But those that the foot soldiers, those is actually just going to say whatever we need to say and be those quote unquote rebellious ones. That's us. That's my generation. And we're going to step into that 10 toes by any means necessary. Like we're going to let people know what we mean and we're not going to sugarcoat anything. And a lot of people 
they were very um, taken aback with Blackburn because of how we were talking, because we were vulgar and we were saying our mind. And it was like a lot of, and it was the older generation. So we had to understand like, and we had to tell them, you have to understand administration dis- disrespected us first. It's like they said F you first, but they just did it discreetly. Instead of saying it because they couldn't say it like on recording, they did it by just turning a blind eye when people were hospitalized. Like they did it when we consistently tried to call, email, write letters, get our parents home to financial aid to to no progress. Like they continue to say those things. We just was bold enough to say it to their face. And they was upset with it and it rubbed in the wrong way. And we just didn't care because it doesn't really matter if you're so worried about how we're saying things, then you are looking at the wrong thing entirely. Like then you have your priorities messed up all the way. Because if you're talking or focusing on one part of the of the word, why why do we have to go to this extent in the first place? Why are we literally marching from Blackburn to um, administration to, to the administration building and chanting outside the administration building? Like we don't need to be doing this. We should not have to be doing this because we are stakeholders too. So there was a lot of things that we did differently. And like I said, my generation, we just it's a different breed, and we have a lot to learn. Not saying that we know everything because we don't. But there's a certain unction, there's a certain spirit, there's a certain mindset that we have that's like, we got to get this done. And we're doing this with our ancestors on our backs. We're doing this because we refuse for our children to go through what we're going through. We refuse for the next generations to have to go through this BS anymore. Like, we are tired. We are tired. And we are doing a lot of educating, a lot of educating, self-educating and educating our community and bring a unity with our community. And Blackburn was a example of unifying the Black community on a nationwide and international front. People that we didn't even know coming in saying like, bro, I love y'all, I appreciate y'all, I look up to y'all. People that's twice our age, three times our age saying like, I look up to y'all, thank y'all for doing this because I'm class of 84 and you know we, we didn't have something like this. Like we didn't get together and do something like this or people that did occupations in the past, because Howard University occupation started in the 1960s. The last one before us happened in um, 2000, 2018. You know, they're coming to us and they're like, y'all are different. You know, each each occupation was better. We had to learn from those who did it before us, but we're built different. And we we are going to demand demand freedom, true freedom by any means necessary. Black Run was a great experience. 34 days, and there were other HBCUs that had takeovers too, the AUC. So in Atlanta, they um, Morehouse, Clark Atlanta, Spelman, and um, Morris Brown. They, about like five to seven days after we launched Blackburn, um, they did something too. And I'm in close relationship with them. They've been talking to the Live Movement closely, just giving updates. And Clark Atlanta's um, demands, all of them have been met. Spellman is really close to wrapping up their negotiations, but about 90% of theirs are met. Um, and Morehouse is still in progress. So it's like, it's, it was an inspirational action, but it created something that was way larger than just Howard. It created something that was way larger than just those that body of protesters. Now we're just making sure that going forward, people understand that we're not here to play. Like, this is not fun and games. Like, yes, we're young, but don't, mistake our youthfulness for being for for weakness don't think that just because we don't have that many years that we don't know what we're doing because we're learning every day 
through experiences, through self-education, um, through learning from others. But it's this generation that's going to get us closer to that finish line of true liberation for our people. Now, I'm 21 years old. Um, I am an abolitionist. Um, have I always had to stand on abolition? No. And I can be very transparent for anybody that's listening because it's okay to have a, an unorthodox way of learning within yourself what, tr- what true liberation is. And for me, it was seeing my cousin get murdered that showed me the system wasn't right. And it was self-learning that taught me that reform isn't the way to go either because it's just making corruption taste sweeter and it's just satisfying those who are looking at it and it's crazy because I was just reading a book and it was like yeah an an analogy for for reformists is okay so you went from a noose to an electric chair from an electric chair to putting chemicals in the body to you know It's just different forms of the same thing, but those different tactics don't comfort the dead. Like those different tactics is not gonna bring those people back to life. And with that being said, it's like, what are we gonna do? Are we gonna continue to just trying to make this ingest system look better? We're just gonna put a cherry on it. We just gonna put flowers on it or make it smell good, spray with perfume. Like that's, we've been doing that for too long. We can't do it anymore. Like. We should have. We should learn from those that came before us. Like, like we have to try different things, different tactics to try to get it done. But reform is not where it's at. We gotta, we gotta start from scratch. We gotta reclaim who we are. We have to reclaim and redefine what true freedom is, and then we gotta do whatever it takes to get there. Um, and I think that's where we're at as a generation. That's where I'm at as an abolitionist. I've been stepping in my my true <laughs> abolitionist identity, and it, it feels good. When you see things going wrong around you, if you don't see anyone stepping up, but even if you do see someone stepping up, make sure that you are a part. Make sure that you find that courage to be that change that you want to see. Make sure you don't let things, especially rules and regulations, limit you. And make sure if you are trying to, quote unquote, abide by rules, take a good look at who is writing those laws, rules, and regulations. And if they're actually writing them to benefit themselves or really looking out for the actual people that they're quote unquote trying to serve. So like we understand that there are certain things just as people like morally we shouldn't do to one another, but there's certain things, there's certain rules and regulations that are put in place to limit us and to suppress us as people. So when it comes to anybody with a title, understand just because they're quote unquote president or vice president or lieutenant or CEO or whatever, especially if it is a black person, understand, aside from their title, aside from how much they make or their net worth, they are still a black person. Understand just because they are black and they are in quote unquote higher positions of power, you have to understand the harsh truth that everybody that look like you is not for you. Understand that it's your responsibility to liberate your people and help. If you are not doing anything for your people, then you are actively working against your people. And I'll just say that out front, like just outright, um, if you feel like this is not your fight, but you are black, then please understand that it is your fight and you're choosing to not fight. And that means you are actually actively hurting the community. 
um, you have to pick a side. You either for us or against us. It's very black and white because there's a lot of stuff to get done. There's a lot of <laughs> there's a lot of road to cover, and there's a goal that we have to reach. But we need all hands on deck to get to that goal. So don't let things in your mind don't you, don't let yourself psych you out. Don't let other people tell you like this is not your fight. It doesn't matter what socioeconomic standing you are on. You are still black. It don't matter if you are in a room full of white folk, white folk, and you're the only person that's black in there. That does not mean you made it. Like it does not matter what caliber you you are on. It doesn't matter like what school you're at. It doesn't matter who your mama or daddy are. At the end of the day, if you are black, like you are still a part of this fight. And if you have more quote unquote influence, if more people know your name on a national or international base, then it is your responsibility to use your platform and use your voice to help your people. And if you are not doing that, then you are still actively working against your people. So take a stand, know who you are, know whose you are, um, and God bless.